All right. Good morning, Servants Church. So glad you guys could be with us. It's been another tough week. We were hoping 2021 would be a, a step forward, and it is, but we got some rough times ahead. That's okay. Uh, we're going to open in prayer. Father, thank you so much that your love for us is perfect. Thank you, Lord, that you do not change, no matter how our circumstances change. Even when our faith feels like it's changing, you're unchanging. Father, we are so thankful that you sent your son, that you knew that he would be betrayed, though innocent, Lord, that he would be beaten and crucified. Lord, indeed, your word says that he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Lord, we, we see there's so much that we don't understand about your plan for your creation, but we are thankful for what you have revealed to us. We're thankful, Lord, that you sent Christ, that the cross pays for all our sins done against you, that in his death we die, in his resurrection we live. Thank you, Lord, so much for that. Father, I pray that you would meet us here today. Lord, as we look at another passage that is uh, just so full of mystery and practicality, we pray, God, you would meet us here today and that you would give the increase by your Holy Spirit. Please, Lord, in our lives we ask for this. In Jesus' name we ask for this. Amen. All right, we are in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, if you want to continue to turn there. And we're going to look at verses 39 to 52. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 39 to 52. As I said in our prayer, this section is really practical. Because as what we see in Luke's gospel, other than say like Matthew's gospel, is Matthew focuses on these fulfilled prophecies that Jesus, uh, well these prophecies that Jesus fulfills. Matthew focuses on things like that there's this prophecy of the son coming out of Egypt. And so we see about the massacres of the innocent children from King Herod and how Joseph and Mary with Jesus had to flee into Egypt and then come back from Egypt. And Luke kind of ignores all of that. Instead, he gives this generic picture or this general picture of Jesus growing up. And, and he shows us, Luke wants to show us that there's something unique about Jesus, his relationship to the Father, and even how he grew. And there's things in here that I have to say are, are, are theologically incredibly deep. We're going to teach you a new word, theological word today. But there's also things here that are incredibly practical. Because we don't serve a God who's kind of distant, who, who is unknowable. We serve a God who's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. We serve a God who, when he says, this is how I want you to live, he doesn't just give us some codified rules. He says, look at me, follow me, this is how I want you to live. And this is how you can know you have life to live. And so we're going to look at this simple truth about the fact that Jesus grew. So let's pick it up in verse 39. It says in verse 39... And when they had performed, that's Joseph and Mary, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. 
And the child, that's Jesus, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. We'll talk about that word favor at the end. But I want you to notice that, that Luke wants us to say, listen, here's how it worked. Jesus was a real, normal human being. Normal in the sense of when he fell and skinned his knee, he cried. As an infant, when he was hungry, he cried, right? He learned like we learned. He grew like we grew. And this is something that's really important for us to understand. But it's also important that we recognize here that Jesus grew under imperfect parents. His parents weren't perfect. We, we, we say traditionally sometimes we refer to Joseph and Mary and Jesus as the holy family. And they were holy in the sense of set apart. But Joseph and Mary were not perfect parents. Not at all. In fact, it's interesting, that though they weren't perfect, though, we still see that one of the things that they did, they did is they took their own growth very seriously. They took their own walks with God very seriously. If, if what we read in verse 39 is, is that what they had done, it says when they had fulfilled or they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. That is all the things we read earlier about taking Jesus to be circumcised on the eighth day and going through the purification uh, rituals 40 days after Jesus was born and, and all the things that transported that we looked at before. They did this stuff according to the law of the Lord. They were obedient to what God's word says. This is good. This is a great example. Taking their growth seriously. In fact, if you drop down to verse 41, look what it says there. Now his parents went uh, to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. So this is what they did as a habit. Now we know the Old Testament actually commanded that every Jewish man was meant to go to Jerusalem for three main festivals. But after, the, the, of course, the, the nation of Israel was divided and then went into captivity and then, then was kind of dispersed, the, the most pious Jews kind of limited that to saying, okay, just try to go out once a year, but make that once a year to be Passover. And so here we have not just the, the men traveling the Passover, but the whole family traveling the Passover. And this was their habit. They did it every year. Now again, what's this show? They're not just obedient to God's word, but they're intentional about the worship of God. They, they really want to make it a priority to worship God together. I've loved hearing the stories uh, from, from some of the families of Servants Church. I'm so blessed to hear that you guys are often gathering the kids around to do the Sunday school lesson and then kind of gathering together to sit during church to, to, to hear the sermon and to, to worship together. That blesses my heart. That intentionality is pleasing to God. It's a good thing. So though they were imperfect parents, they did take their growth seriously. The issue we see here is that they struggled to keep up with Jesus' growth. <laughs> Look what happens in, in verse 42. Now when he, that's Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And then what's meant by that is, uh, what, what would happen is, is that as a, a Jewish boy got to around 12 years old, they began to make sure that he was there learning what he could learn because at a certain age, a Jewish boy became a Jewish man accountable to God under the law. That eventually developed into what they have now in, in Jewish cultures called the bar mitzvah. Now, so they're taking them here on purpose, right? So they're taking Jesus to Jerusalem so that training can continue. Verse 43. And when the feast had ended and they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group that they, uh, they went a day's journey, but when they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Now you can imagine how they felt. 
Have you ever lost your, your, uh, one of your children in the grocery store, you know, the, in the supermarket? That's, that's, that freaks us out. It scares us to anything. Imagine three days not knowing where your 12-year-old is. Now, now, here's what is going on here. It's, it's important that we recognize this is really not parental neglect. It was common in that culture that when they went to these feasts, they went as a village, as a community. So it was very common to have sort of men and women traveling together, often uh, men speaking with the men, women speaking with the women, or uh, different families speaking with different families, and the kids kind of running back and forth among the caravan. So it was probably what happened is they go a day's journey, they go to camp for the night, and they're like, uh, where's Jesus? We can't find Jesus. Not a good idea to lose the Messiah. <laughs> can't, they can't find him, so they panic. So they have to take a journey back there, and they finally find him, we'll see, in the temple. They're struggling to keep up with his. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up and, and, and emphasize the fact that Jesus grew uh, under the influence of imperfect parents is because guess what? We've all had imperfect parents. We all have imperfect bosses. We all have uh, imperfect communities. We have imperfect leadership. Some countries worse than others. We, we live in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a world where those over us get it wrong a lot. But that doesn't mean we still can't grow. I want us to think about um, how we would respond to this. So we're not called to parent Jesus, are we? No, he's full grown and he's the God man, as we'll talk about more in a second. But we are called to proclaim Jesus. And I love the fact that Joseph and Mary's imperfections did not hinder God's plan to make Jesus known. And guess what? Neither do ours. Our weaknesses, our imperfections don't hinder what God wants to do. In fact, the, the quality of our proclaiming, how good am I pro at proclaiming in, in, in through word and deed, is less important, far less important than the one we proclaim. This is an important lesson for us to think about. So often, we, we put this pressure of growth on ourselves thinking, I won't be useful to God unless I grow. I've got to grow, and I, we're pushing ourselves to grow. But that's not how growth happens. Growth happens as we abide in God and He produces that growth. This is why we're not called to preach ourselves. Look at me, I've grown. No, we preach Jesus. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And we have this treasure. It's the treasure of Jesus Himself that we're proclaiming in jars of clay. That's how we're described as human beings. Fragile, common jars of clay. And why we have it that way? Why has God done it that way? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You would think God would have picked perfect parents for Jesus. But no, that's not, the nece that's not necessary. Godly parents, parents who took their worship seriously, parents who took their growth seriously, yes, but not perfect parents. Be encouraged by that. In fact, I would just encourage you from a parental level, you guys that are parenting, you know what your kids need most? For you to walk with Jesus. So what happens next? In verse 46 it says, So after three days they found Jesus in the temple. Three days. Wow, that's a long time. And there he is sitting among the teachers. Verse 46. Notice, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
So it's important that we get this picture right. So, so Jesus lingers behind. He's, he's, remember, he's been brought to Jerusalem. Why? To prepare to become uh, a man. To prepare to become a man in a spiritual sense, accountable, fully accountable to God himself, right? So his parents brought him there. He's there for that reason. So why does he stay? He stays for that reason. In fact, maybe he's just being wise because he's there doing that thing. They don't recognize he's still there doing that thing. They take off thinking he's with somebody else. Bless them. And as they take off, he's going, well, I'm going to stay in this place where I should most logically be found, in the temple of my father, the temple of God. And so he's there and he's learning. And it's important that we recognize that what's indicated by verse 46 is it, when it says that he's listening to them and he's asking them, that there's a sincerity there. He really is learning. That Jesus, who's a fully man, has a human intellect that is developing naturally. It's important that we see this, okay? This is what's happening. But also, if you look at verse 47, what's happening is, is that all those that are listening to him, remember these are like the, the, the religious leaders, these are like the theologians and the scholars of that day who would have made themselves available around the outskirts of the temple to ask and, or answer questions all day long. And so, so these are people who are used to getting tough theological and philosophical questions and they would discuss things and help their whole job was to help people understand good theology biblically that was their job they didn't always get it right bless them but that was their job and so as they're teaching Jesus is listening and he's learning and as they're saying well young man what do you think he's giving answers that blow them away now that word amazed let's not sort of devalue that word because we use the word amazed all the time we, we, we say that stuff all the time oh this this lasagna is amazing you know, you know, we really don't mean it's amazing because the word amazing here means to be dumbfounded. Like you, like you don't know what to say. Now, I've met some bright 12-year-olds in my day, but never one that maybe go uh, 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 like that. But that's what's happening to these teachers. He's giving them answers and they're kind of going, I, I've never, you can, they're, they're thinking I've never heard this before. Or that actually answers a question we've been wrestling with for hundreds of years. And they're kind of, where is this coming from? Well, here's where it's coming from. It's coming from a knowledge that the Son of God has always had. That the Son of God has always had this knowledge. Though what we, we know about Jesus is that he submitted the free exercise of his deity to the Father's will when he took on his humanity. And so really what's happening here is as his, 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 his humanness is developing naturally, it's uncovering, listen, it's uncovering this eternal knowledge that's always been there gradually. Uncovering it to him and uncovering it to the world. Now there's a, there's a here's the Greek word, you guys, or here's the theological word. You ready, ready for the big theological word? Drum roll, please. Here it is. Perichoresis. Perichoresis. This is a theological term. And yes, I'm a nerd and I like theological terms. Perichoresis. One uh, biblical, well-respected biblical scholar says that it literally means the, the existence of natures one together, uh, in one another. Uh, another uh, well-known uh, theologian gives a definition for the idea of this theological term as this. More simply put, Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be forever. Now, the, these are, are, are 
expressions of truth that have developed over the centuries. But this is what the Apostle Paul said in the first century. For in Christ the, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now if you ever study any kind of church history, and uh, if I can make a recommendation, I should have brought it up here so I could show you guys, but there's this little series called The No Series by a guy named Justin Holcomb. And, and one of the books I have is, is called Know Your Heretics. It's a small little book. And it's basically just explaining how the, the, the kind of wrestlings around theology that the church had in the first two, three hundred years. And it's all about who Jesus is. It's all about basically coming up with this idea that they, that they call parachorosis. Now, now here's the issue. The, the, the issue is, is that there's some heavy stuff going on. There's a mystery here going on where we see the full humanity of Jesus that he's growing, and yet as he grows, it unveils or unveils this real deity, that he is God of very God. Now, of course, how do his parents handle this? Okay, they find him after three days, verse 48, what happens? And when his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Now, part of this is the normal stress of parenting. It's understandable. Any of us, like I said, we'd stress out after, uh, uh, you know, an hour of not being able to find our child in the supermarket. Imagine three days and the Messiah to boot. But part of this as well is that, like us, they didn't understand perichorosis. Do, do you get that yet? Because I tried to explain it to you, and I still don't get it yet. There's a mystery here that's hard for us to understand. And that mystery means we can sometimes misinterpret the behavior of our Savior, just like his parents did. But Jesus makes clear what's going on here. And this is a real clear statement of his deity here in verse 49. That they're, they're, they're obviously, we see in verse 50, it says they don't understand this. But it says, and he said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now there is partly there probably some, well, where else would I be waiting for you to come back for, except for here? But the fact that he doesn't say, wouldn't you think you'd find me in the temple? But he says, my father's house. This is the very climax of this section. This is, this is, where, this is where Luke wants us to see, man, there's a unique relationship here that Jesus has with the father. There's something unique about Jesus here. Now, here's what the scripture says. Jesus says this in John chapter 5. He says, the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. That shows him everything that the father is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater things than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. Listen, for just as the father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the son gives life to anyone he wants. That is a clear statement of deity. Now, the reason this is important is this, because and this is what, how we want to respond to this. Jesus, his growth, uncovers his in, in, in eternal sonship. It doesn't conflict with God, who's always been God and cannot change. It just uncovers that. Now, also, here's the thing we want to, to see. Luke does want us to see as the readers. Luke, Luke probably wasn't thinking perichorosis, by the way. He was just probably thinking the, the, the readers need to know this Jesus is unique and his relationship with God is unique. And also, it's important for us to understand, we don't have to understand all the theological language about, uh, about Jesus, who he is, to have a relationship with God. 
Okay, we don't, we don't have to understand all this stuff. But we have to recognize the reality of it. If we're going to enjoy God for who he is, we have to recognize God has revealed who he is in Jesus. We have to, if, if we're going to grow in a relationship with God, we have to recognize, listen, that it's only through Christ that we can be made into a right relationship, and it's only through following Christ that we can grow in that right relationship. That has to be there. We don't just look at Jesus as he's the example. He's the great guy, a good teacher. We want to be kind of like Jesus. No, it's bigger than that. It's not less than that, but it's way bigger than that. It needs to be, listen, we recognize only through the unique Son of God, this unique relationship, Father and Son, and the unique work that he did through his life and death and resurrection. Are we able to grow? Are we able to say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you? Only through him. Now, shouldn't we expect some mystery when it comes to worshiping and knowing the eternal God? Absolutely. It's very hard for us in the West. Uh, we have centuries now. Uh, the Enlightenment really did have an impact on Christianity. Some po really positive, but some maybe not so positive. Because as we've gotten through the Enlightenment and, and rationalism, we're now in a place where we think we should be able to figure everything out so we don't need to believe. Hogwash. I don't care how brilliant you are. If you're watching this and you're brilliant, I'm sure you're smarter than me, but I don't care. Because here's the truth. You still operate by faith. We all operate by faith. Why? Because there's mystery to life. Why would we think there'd be less mystery to the person of God becoming mad? You guys following me? So Luke wants us to see this. Now, of course, verse 50, <laughs> mom and dad going, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> But guess what? They still loved Jesus. They still believed he was who God said he was. And in verse 51, here's what we read. The boy Jesus, he went down with his parents. He came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now here's where it starts getting really practical. If there was ever a time when the greater submitted to the lesser, it was right here. This is so important for us. So important for us. I'll tell you what, as a leader, as someone who has a very limited amount of authority, but still has some authority, has a responsibility for other people, I not only feel that weight of, man, I, I really need to do well by these people, but I also realize I don't really have what it takes to do this. I am asking people to trust me with things that I don't know if I should be trusted with those things. But actually, here's what the Bible teaches us. Here's what we see in this. The, the, the request from God in our growth is, listen, not trust that person, but trust that I've put that person over you, whether it's a parent or a boss or whoever. Does that mean that you should allow abuse? Absolutely not. That's not glorifying to God. But it does mean that we can trust that even broken authority should be submitted to because, you know what? God uses that. God uses submission for our growth. Jesus grew through submission. This is how he grew. This is how he revealed God to us as he grew as a real man. Interesting, the famous passage in Ephesians chapter 5 talking about being, be, uh, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says a lot of things about making melody in your hearts and singing to one another and giving God thanks for everything. But also, 
in the same context of what it means to be filled with the Spirit, it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you ever equate submission with being full of the Holy Spirit? You should. We should. That submitting to those over us is part of being full of God's Spirit. It's a good thing. Now, of course, what do we read in the second part of verse 51? It says, he was submissive to them, but his mother and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, obviously, she, in treasuring up, she's going, man, this is important. And she's just kind of mulling over him probably the rest of her life. But you know what's happening as she sees this supernatural child of hers actually submit to her and his legal father, not biological, but legal father, Joseph. As she does this, you know what happens to her? She grows. She grows. She grows by watching him be submissive. See, his growth helped Mary believe. If you get to the end of, of John's gospel in John chapter 19, you, know, you, see, you see Mary there watching her son be crucified. Torturous. Receiving the instructions that when, when Jesus says on the, on the cross, which is mind-blowing, he says to, to John, behold your mother, and to his mother, behold your son, putting his mother into her care. She was able to receive that. She was able to believe Jesus for that. Why? Because she had treasured these things in her heart. She had seen him grow. And in Acts chapter 1, when the, 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 the followers of Jesus are still there, they've watched him ascend into heaven, and they're gathering together, waiting to Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Guess who's named specifically among them? Mary. She believed her son's promise that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on her as well. Why? Because she watched him grow. Because you know how we can encourage each other in the faith? We grow. <laughs> We grow. The more we choose to, the more we choose to say, Lord, I, I, I'm putting myself in your hands. I just want to abide in you. I want your word to abide in me because I know that's how I'm going to grow. I know that's how you're going to produce the fruit in me. The more we do that, guess what happens? The more people gain faith. Think about this analogy, this metaphor of fruit that, that Jesus uses in John 15. It's not just the idea that it's something that's, it, that doesn't produce itself. That, that's there for sure. But also, fruit is not for the benefit of that individual tree. It's to benefit others and for future generations of trees. That's what fruit is for. As we grow, guess what? Other people benefit. As Jesus grew, Mary, it helped Mary believe. But lastly, look at verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, what's listed here are basically all the areas of human development. Every area. So when he talks about he grew in wisdom, that's an intellectual growth. He grew intellectually. He learned not just more information, but learned how to think about that information. And as we said earlier, right, as he learned, it uncovered also uh, an eternal knowledge that he had as the Son of God. When it says that he grew in stature, it most likely means that he physically grew. He improved. I mean, he learned how to play. He learned how to work hard. Sometimes the pictures, these old, old school pictures of these kind of effeminized Jesuses where he was weak and soft, I think, nah. <laughs> this guy learned to work. He was a carpenter, which doesn't just mean like building toy boats. He, this guy was building homes out of, out, of, out of rock and wood. 
He was strong. His hands were calloused. The, I, the prophet Isaiah, in, in describing this, the Messiah, says there was nothing uh, in, in, in his form that, that was, uh, he wasn't comely, he wasn't attractive. Very normal looking dude. He grew in stature. He grew physically. Also, when it says in favor with God, it means he grew spiritually. This, here's the interesting thing about that word favor. We, we saw it earlier, right? I said I'd bring it up at the end. The, the word favor there, it's the, where we get the word grace. Same root word, charis, grace. Now, we tend to think of grace specifically as, and rightly so, specifically as God's unmerited favor towards us. But the word, it, it, it's, it's come to hold the idea of unmerited favor because the Bible's clear we don't deserve that favor as in Ephesians 2. But actually the word favor there just means pleasure, something that causes pleasure. The, the idea of favor is someone looks at you and goes, man, I like that guy. I'm pleased with them. I love it when they come around. It's like that. And so when it says that he grew in favor with God, it means that, that the smile of God, the smile of the Father was on him always. And this is great news for us. Guess, guess what? Because we're in Christ Guess what we have? The smile of God upon us. It's amazing to think about, isn't it? It's amazing to think that, that, that the creator of the universe, who we snub, who we disobey, who we fail to worship, that that creator smiles at us. But he does so because of Christ. And he always, as we'll see in a couple weeks as well, is pleased with his son. But he still grows in this relationship. He still continues in it as the real man. But also it says that he grew in favor with men. He grew socially. Now, if I'm being honest, I find this is the trickiest thing to do, especially in days of COVID. Because when it comes to our horizontal relationships as believers, we're really suffering, isn't it? I don't know. You guys are doing great so far. But this, is, this kind of we can't mingle at all is really hard for us, isn't it? It's not natural, really. It's difficult. It's needed. It's right. But it's difficult. And, and, and then that's just talking about us as a church family. What about the extra tension in our households with roommates and families? Because we're, we're, we're unnaturally stuck together. It's very hard to grow socially. But again, here's the good news. If Jesus could increase in favor with man, by his spirit, we can too. Somewhere else, something else to, for us to think about with this too before I give us a chance to respond to this. When it comes to growing uh, intellectually, physically, uh, uh, spiritually, socially, where we have failed, Jesus succeeded. This is why our faith always needs to be in him. Does the Lord call us to grow? Absolutely. Does that growth earn us a place with God? Absolutely not. Jesus did that for us. Because his growth was perfect. Remember that. Let that be the motivation for you who want to grow. So let's get really practical. How, how can we grow? How can we follow Jesus in this growth? Well, to ask yourself a really clear question. As we talked about those things, which area of development do you need to grow most in? Because the truth is, all those areas of development were meant to bring glory to God. So maybe a better question would have been, which of those areas do you struggle most to bring glory to God in? Is it intellectual growth? Is it physical growth or maintenance at my age? Is it, is, it, uh, is, it, is it spiritual growth? Just learning to love God more? Is it 
social growth, learning to love people better? Which of those areas do you feel like you struggle with the most? Maybe you feel like you struggle in kind of all those areas. Well, here's some suggestions. If it's, if it's wisdom, how about choosing a good Christian book that will help you think deeply and correctly about God, about Jesus? If you need some suggestions, let me know. I have lots of books. I even have books you could borrow. Borrow. You have to give them back. <laughs> Stature. Maybe you struggle with kind of maintaining yourself physically. Maybe that part of that is when you stress, you stress eat. I do that. Man. Something about sort of like the end of the week and just give me junk food. So unhealthy. But also it could be just that you're, you're too sedentary. You need to get up and move in a bit. We weren't created to be sedentary. I don't know if you know that or not. Most, a lot of us here have uh, desk jobs and it's not the best for us. So maybe you need to get up and maybe to do it to the glory of God, you can do a prayer walk, which while it's still allowed, with another household, do a prayer walk. Go for a walk with someone and just pray. You know, I, I don't find walking as great exercise, you know, maybe because I think I'm such a great athlete, even though I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you, it's funny, when Sarah and I walk together and we pray, because I'm a little bit verbose, if you haven't noticed, that seems to graze my heart rate up to an appropriate level. And it's good exercise. Plus, it's great to pray with my wife. Maybe it's in, in favor with God. Maybe one of the things you need to do is take some time. And here's the best way for you to grow in your love for God is to meditate on his commitment to you. Suggestion, Ephesians chapter 1. Meditate on God's pleasure in saving you. Man, if that doesn't teach you to love God, nothing will. Nothing will. Now, what about favor with men? Here's something that we can all do. Move towards somebody this week. I know it's hard for us to do this in a physical sense, but we can do this, pick up the phone, give someone a ring, say, can we have a chat? Zoom, which we all hate the word Zoom now, I know. but And just say, hey, I just wanted to know your story more. I, I realize I don't know much about your upbringing or your family or, you know, just tell me, I just want to know more of your story. We don't need to be hyper-spiritual about this. You know what happens when you listen to somebody's story? When you listen to somebody's story, you begin to realize this is, this is what's important to their heart. And as you know what's important to someone's heart, you know what you're able to do? Pray for them intelligently. Love them intelligently. Maybe do that. But I hope we can see, guys, listen, that though there's a great mystery wrapped around the fact that God the Son somehow as being fully man fully God, complete in one person, that he grew. There's a, there's a theological mystery there. The reality is, because he did that, we can grow. We can grow. Let's commit to do that. Father, we just want to commit uh, to you afresh today and say thank you so much that in Jesus you provided everything for human development. The example, Lord, you provided the redemption that we need You've even provided a future for us after death. The greatest thing, our own resurrections. Thank you, Lord, that we can grow. Lord, I pray that you would help us to want that. You would help us to, to lean hard on you for that. And that, Lord, we would, by your Holy Spirit, have the wisdom to do that. Even in these difficult days of COVID. Help us, Lord, we pray. And we do want to keep praying for the families that have been battling the illness.
that we know, Father. And we pray, Lord, when we're tempted just to hide because things are so painful and difficult, God, give us the grace to draw near to you, to draw near to one another, to be willing to take the, the time we have now to invest in growth, knowing, Lord, it's you that gives the increase. Please, Lord, we pray this and we, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. See you soon.